Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm talking today with Sarah Hayward. She is the author of the book, Giving Up God, Resurrecting the Spirituality of Love and Wonder. So welcome, Sarah, to Mindshift Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we've got a mutual friend, just to get a couple things out of the way, David Morris. So your book is being published by Lake Drive Books. And David was recently a guest on the show, maybe a couple of months ago. And then he introduced me to you, you to me. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but he said, this, I think Sarah would make a great fit for the show. So a big mm-hmm. thank you to David for setting this up. Yes. And I was just going to say one other thing. Speaking of David's, you're not related to David Hayward, the naked <laughs> pastor, are you? No, people assume that we're related, but we're not. Yeah. It's not my uncle endorsing my book. He's a, a stranger, but we have the same last name. Yeah. Did you appear with David, though? I saw something on the Lake Drive books where did you and David do a, like a Zoom call, a presentation or something? About yeah, we just had surviving a the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. We did a call where people could call in and be part of it. And uh, we talked about deconstruction and got into mm-hmm. the binary way of thinking a whole bunch and then touched on being in a different space than family and going into the holidays and kind of navigating all those tricky waters. So yeah, it was a good conversation. Yeah, I was thinking, well, because I've been saying I'm going to have Sarah on the show, and then I've said she's no relation to David Hayward. Then I looked right. at the website, I thought, oh, <laughs> David yeah, Hay- no, Hayward, no. Sarah Hayward, oh, shit, you know. But yeah. then it said they're not related, so I was like, oh, I've been saying the, the right things all along. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been noticing you've got a Christmas tree behind you. Speaking of holidays, you know, that conversation mm-hmm. with David, I just had him on the show a couple, again, another month or so ago. And I've had him on the show numerous times. He's a really good friend of mine, one of my favorite Canadians. And we talk a lot because we're both ex-pastors. We both were ministers for years, evangelical. We studied theology. We did seminary and all the rest of it. So we have a ton of things in common. What would you? What were you sort of discussing? Because obviously we know the holidays are a difficult season for people. What's mm-hmm. sort of the, some of the common threads that come out of that? I think kind of where we landed was... I think it comes down to deciding what it is you you know need and want from your family and to get out of out of the holiday season. So if you decide that relationship is what you want and to to be in relationship with people you disagree with, you know, we do that every day. Religion sure. just feels so heavy and so personal. Um, so just kind of deciding which battles to pick, which conversations to go after, when to let things slide. Mm-hmm. Um and trying to gauge if the other person, if, if you know, somebody else brings up uh, a more religious topic to s- try to discern, are they just baiting me here or do they actually have a curiosity and want to know what I think? So trying to develop that skill of discernment, of knowing mm. what is their goal in this and is it worth a real conversation? Is it going to be a real conversation or not? Um, and if not, learning how to scoot, <laughs> scoot aside and be like, navigate hey, that. let's go watch the football game or, you know, something <laughs> else. So, got to be something yeah. else we can do. It exactly. seemed like it's true, isn't it? I, I put that question up in our Facebook group because every year I always throw up something around the holidays. Is that, you know, how's everybody doing? Because mm-hmm. for those of us that were evangelicals, let's say, for example, 
ex-evangelicals, like you say, we've deconstructed, we may have walked away from the church and or the faith. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a family thing on Thanksgiving, Christmas, if it's a North American holiday, and there seems to be two kind of topics that come up. Like you say, the religious component, I've got to get them back into the fold and whatever, mm-hmm. or and or the political because yeah. a lot of time, obviously, you're in North America. You, you see the whole Trump evangelical MAGA thing going on. So people have said, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling because I've got family. They're into conspiracy theories. They're into QAnon. They're into the whole Trump evangelical thing. And they're desperate to get me to come on board. You know, So these are really difficult things to navigate, aren't they? Yeah. And I feel that on the political side, too. My parents are evangelical Christians who voted for Trump and... Mm-hmm. That was painful for me. That was yeah. physically painful to realize that they weren't they weren't excited about him. They're not going to his rallies and he was not their first choice when it was the early primary days, but he got their vote in the end and that hurt. Um but again, I had to ask myself cuz there was a a minute where I thought, "Man, do I cut them off? Do I want this around my kids?" But ultimately, I thought, you know, The reason I loved my parents was never their politics. (laughs) That's not why Mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship with them in the first place. So being able to compartmentalize that as hard as it is, and it is hard, you know, it's definitely an elephant in the room kind of a thing. Um, But ultimately, I love my parents and they're really good grandparents. I've got young kids. I want them in their life. And so some things you got to... I don't know, let bygones be bygones, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's it's tricky for sure. It can be tricky. What about things like boundaries too? Because that, that comes up as well, isn't it? Like let's say you've got mm-hmm. kids, you drop them off at grandparents' house for the weekend. They insist on taking them to church. They insist on giving them Bibles and tracts and Christian books and things. So you feel like the kids are a battleground in some ways because the grandparents yeah. are desperate to, you know, you're you're not a Christian anymore or whatever it is you're, you are or you aren't. We've got to at least save the kids, you know, and I know people have had really difficult conversations around that piece. What do you do with yes. the kids, the grandkids? That could be very tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think you'd have to shut that down to a degree mm-hmm. if they're flat out proselytizing to your kids. And that could go across the board again, not just religiously, but parenting. A lot of parents in my generation are going the gentle route and aren't spanking or traditionally disciplining kids the same way that our parents did. And so I see a lot of parents rubbing up in conflict, even about our just parenting style with or without religion. And so, yeah, I think you need to be able to lay your boundaries down and say, hey, you know, mom and dad, I am glad that my kids have you as a grandparent. But just so you know, your role as grandparent is to love them and be with them and have fun and, you know, be that person, but not to train them up in a certain way. Like, that's my job to teach them Mm -hmm. how to be in this world and to try to instill those bigger lessons and morals, leave that to me and you can take them out for ice cream, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's so hard it to have like those them. conversations, isn't it? Especially yeah. with your parents, when you're mm-hmm. a parent and they're the grandparents, but they're your parents. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense I live over here in the UK, so I, I'm not around my parent. My dad's dead anyway, but my mom, I had to unfortunately cut that relationship off because it was so toxic mm-hmm. around, you know, my walking away from the faith and some other things that went on. You know, so I at least I'm I'm not physically around them, but I still have to hear you know the story. So, in a yeah, way, I'm lucky. Cutting off is the best thing. Sometimes, sometimes you have to protect yourself. Yeah, and if they're being that bullheaded and close-minded and toxic, that's yeah, you gotta look out for yourself and your kids. But if if they have a measure of grace and you can have a measure of grace and try to give each other some benefit of the doubt, and you can make it work, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I'm interested to get into your book because, I mean, looking at the subtitle, I I, I first saw the title, Giving Up God. I'm like, yes, I'm all in. I can't <laughs> wait to talk. to Seth. Then I saw the subtitle. I thought, oh, now that's interesting because you talk about resurrecting as spirituality because I know people go a lot of different directions. There's not, it's not a monolith, is it? And I don't know your backstory. Maybe we should start there and get our work our way to the book because uh, I'm interested to hear how, if if it's possible to get to you know have a have a, rel- a an element of spirituality off the back end of deconstruction. So were you raised in evangelicalism? What's your story? How did you get to be where you're at now? Yeah, I was pretty born and raised in the church. Uh, my parents both converted later in life, so they came to uh, an evangelical style, style, you know, personal relationship with Christ in their 20s as they were kind of getting married. Mm-hmm. Um but I was raised going to Sunday school and Awanas and youth group and all of it. So I was all in from an yep. early age. And I would say I was lucky to have a very healthy relationship with my faith and with religion as a whole. It wasn't ever too toxic for me. I didn't grow up super fundamentalist, high control. I was evangelical, which is conservative and close-minded. Um, and had I been gay or something, it would have been really hard. But I happened mm-hmm. to be straight white female, so I didn't rub up against too many frictions. Yeah, uh, fit right in then. <laughs> right. I was an markers. acceptable person, yes. Yeah, you were okay. Uh-huh. Um, so I had a healthy relationship. I Church was fun for me. That's where I got a lot of my friends, people I'm still friends with to today. Mm-hmm. And I felt personally known and loved by the God of the universe. And that mm-hmm. gave me a great sense of worth and value and purpose in this world. And I felt grateful to my faith and motivated to treat others well with the love of God that I had felt. Um, And so that was my story all through high school. I was a pretty goody two shoes, you know, didn't, Mm -hmm. didn't party, didn't get wild, nothing crazy. I did decide my senior year of high school, I needed to know how to handle my liquor before college because I I had decided I was going to be a regular college kid and and drink in college. And so Mm -hmm. I started dabbling a teeny bit at the end. Um, but no, pretty good kid. And then even in college, I quickly joined Campus Crusade for Christ. Of course. And you I did. was all in there. Yep. I yep. led small groups and uh, was very involved, went on their retreats and, and all that. And then I joined a, a newer, a newly planted church in, I went to college in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so I joined a church there and it was a young church. And so I joined the leadership team and I was in leadership there and went on retreats with them and was behind the scenes. Um, at the church. So I was still very religious. But in that time, I had started to unpack some things that I had assumed to be true about the faith. And so during college, I came to be affirming of LGBTQ plus um, and really 180'd my views on that, but still was able to keep that within Christianity to say, mm-hmm. ooh, I think the Bible has been misinterpreted and some of these verses are being abused and that's not what God wanted or not what was meant. The original cultures had no concept of homosexuality the way we do. And so I was able to repurpose all of that and keep it Christian. Same with um, the idea of hell and eternal suffering. I came to let go of that and say, I don't think a God who claims to be love itself could create eternal suffering, literally billions and trillions of years for a measly 72 years on earth like that what That's way out of proportion yeah. not love i don't just think. For not believing in jesus you know i also yeah i became more universalist thinking okay jesus is the way but 
Jesus was also 100% spirit. So maybe all these other religions and all of the, you know, indigenous tribes who never, ever heard of him, they're not doomed. Maybe Jesus had a way of communicating to them through their gods or their spirit. And so I was trying really hard to stay Christian and to make it work and to redefine my faith over and over again. So the first half of the book kind of goes through all of that story of the things that I started to question and change and evolve my faith in, but still trying very hard to keep a Christian. I had no intention of leaving. Um, Being a Christian was who I was to a deep core level. Mm So that's your identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be, right? We were supposed to be dead sure. to Christ. And yeah. so I was supposed to be living for this other purpose, not my own will, but God's will be done. Um, and I was in that. I was 100% committed to that um, until I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the 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 story kind of evolves as, as I shed some of the, the beliefs along the way. And ultimately, I am now in a place where I don't, I don't believe that there is a higher being, that there is some sort of person out there uh, that created all this with a purpose and a plan and knows me on an individual level. I'm highly doubtful. I can't see how a thing like that could exist, a being like that, who claims to be love and claims to be all-knowing and sees this world that we have with genocide and war and childhood cancer and all the horrible suffering things yeah the could and should do something about it yeah a classic problem of evil isn't it yeah and what really unraveled for me i i would use free will to explain that before as a christian and say well god had to give us free will otherwise we're puppets otherwise none of it matters if we're just forced to choose him so he had to give us free will therefore suffering exists because humans are flawed yeah. But the more I picked on that and really dug into it, I thought there is a very interesting philosophical debate if free will really is real. You know, we seem to have thoughts that just arrive in our head unbeknownst to us. You know, songs get stuck in there without my consent and they're in my brain and I don't <laughs> want them in there. Get out yeah. of that. Rick Astley. Oh, my God. I got Rick rolled again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's some debate if free will is really what we think it is and if it exists, which is very uncomfortable still just as a human to think. We're not in full control of our own lives, Um, but you can make that case. But even outside of that, thinking God is supposed to be all powerful. Couldn't God make it better, make the system more kind and and have a world where there's free will minus rape and free will minus murder? You know, I can imagine a way to do that. We don't have the free will to just do anything we want. I can't grow wings on my back and fly. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't the option of evil just not been an option? And so, yeah, I just I could not comprehend a God, a higher being that could work with the world we have. Either they're not very creative and couldn't think of a better way or they're not that loving and don't care that much or they're not that powerful. And then why would I worship that thing? You know, so to me, a world without God just made more sense. And actually mm-hmm. felt better to think this is all just random. We're just here and good and evil exists because humans are capable of good and evil all the so time. For, for as much bad as we can do, we are capable of doing great good things too. Right. And we are. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting that you describe your sort of trajectory because I've t- talked to loads of people who, like you, have deconstructed. And what's fascinating to me is there's not just one sort of monolithic response to questioning your mm-hmm. faith. 
I can resonate a lot with what you were saying because one of the pathways that I chose was similar to yours. I was raised in fundamentalism. Then I became an evangelical, so a little bit more centrist, but I still held on to a lot of the fundamentalist beliefs from my childhood. But then when I was a pastor in Portland, I started reading sort of progressive Christian authors, you know, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Donald Miller, things like that, Richard Rohr. And that opened up, like you said, a more liberal, inclusive, you know, Christianity gospel. And I try, I made that work for probably four or five, six years before I couldn't, like I just couldn't, but I can see now it was a really important step in my deconstruction journey. I didn't just go from A to Z like that. Right. A long process of sort of jettisoning a lot of the more fundamentalist beliefs and then finally working my way out on the other end. But it took probably 10, 12, 15 years Mm -hmm. of this journey. And I can see that now, but of course at the time I was just embracing sort of the next step. So I think right. a lot of people, what you're saying really can resonate in terms of deconstruction, can it? Yeah. Yeah. My journey was about 15 years, really, from kind of mm-hmm. the beginning of college till now. I'm 38 now. And so it, this is still a fairly new shift. Um, I came down on this more atheistic worldview just a couple of years ago, really. So it's still fairly fresh. Um And to go back to your question in the beginning of kind of what do I mean now when I say a spirituality and resurrecting that, um, I could see as I entered this more atheistic worldview uh, that a lot of folks here, especially folks who had been religious, turned very bitter and angry and often very nihilistic. Nothing matters. This is all a weird joke and I don't know why we exist and Mm. nothing is important. And a cruel joke, really, in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you could make that case. Certainly. Yeah. You could argue that for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially with what's going on in Gaza. Like yeah. That. Oh, totally. So yeah. I sympathize. Um, but that didn't feel right either to me. And I didn't want to land there. And so when I say I resurrected a spirituality of wonder, I I found a lot of comfort in science and in some pretty geeky stuff. I'm a big nerd. And so learning about evolution and how connected we all are, that every single living being at some point is related going far enough back on the scale to that first single-celled organism. And that sense of connectedness I now feel is very beautiful to me to look at another animal, another human, a tree, and to think we are distant relatives. We are part of the same thing. Um, And kind of connecting into that sense of just being and of aliveness to me is the I still think of myself as one small piece of a greater whole, and the whole is just existence is is being um, without again necessarily something in charge. But um, so I found a lot of beauty on the other side, and still have a lot of room for wonder and awe. And so that's why I would try to cling on to that and say everything doesn't have to be meaningless. Maybe in the eternal cosmic sense, this is fairly meaningless. Certainly in 10,000 years, no one's going to know I existed. I won't have mattered. But right now, I do matter. I matter a lot to my kids. I matter to my husband. I matter to my friends. My life still has meaning and beauty and purpose. I get to define that purpose, and it's kind of up to me, which I also think is very freeing and beautiful, a little scary, (laughs) a little intimidating. Um, So the second whole half of the book is me resurrecting my identity. Now that I'm not dead to Christ, I have to come back alive to myself. Who am I without being a Christian? And so finding that sense of still beauty and purpose and wonder and meaning 
outside of the faith. And that's really what I wrestle with in the latter half of the book. We mentioned the idea of identity because the way I see it now, looking back at my life in evangelicalism, uh, it was like two selves. There was the religious self and then the authentic self was in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's something that I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Robert J. Lifton, um, Psychology and the Thought Reformer Totalism. It's a fantastic book that talks about sort of the cult markers of cults. And the, the beautiful thing about the book is that not only does he describe there's sort of eight markers of kind of cults, the groups use cult tactics, I should say, but he also describes the psychological effect of each one on our selves. And mm-hmm. what hit me, what he talks about is calls it doubling and you create an, a religious self and then you have your real self is in there and you have mm-hmm. to kind of break through that carapace, that shell of the religious self, the mask that we wear. And I think what you're saying, what I resonate from that is this sense of agency that's what I feel like I've sort of recovered. I don't know if I ever had it. Maybe I I never had it. But to be my authentic self all the time and not have to act like a religious person in front of some people and you know, you're you're different in front of different people. Do you feel like there's that sense of agency now that you've just kind of freed yourself from all that, you know, trappings yes. of religiosity? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. I feel so much freer and so much more at peace. Again, like I said, mm-hmm. the the idea of a world without God makes more sense to me and feels better. I don't have to rationalize how could God do this? How could God let Gaza be happening on top of Ukraine happening, on top of ongoing racism, on top of XYZ? I don't have to to try to explain that. And that's very freeing. And to think that, yeah, that there's not there's nothing hanging over my shoulder. I I did believe in the free gift of grace. I didn't think I had to earn my salvation. I I did always sense that I had that locked in, but I always felt a very gnawing pressure of, am I doing enough? You know, there's that old parable of the sheep and the goats. They used Mm -hmm. to scare the shit out of me. And I thought, oh, I know if I'm a goat. You won't know until it's too late. And I haven't said people and I've never been to prison and I haven't done those things. How do I know? And so that pressure is gone. And I finally just feel like I get to live my life as it is, as it comes up. I still want to be a good person. And I still believe that I am tied. My my fate is tied to others and that I do have a sense of obligation to try to alleviate suffering across the globe through my tiny, teeny bit of power that I have, which is not big. Um, that quote from Fannie Lou Hammer, nobody's free till everybody's free. You know, I mm-hmm. still think... I don't want to go hedonistic and just live only for myself and my pleasure. I don't think that's a good way of being a human. Um, but it's not because I think I'm going to be punished or sent to hell if I don't. So, yeah, I feel a lot more power and control in my own life to do the best I can and to keep learning and growing and and try to be kind and loving toward others um, while I just live my life. Mm, do the best you can. When we come back in the second half of this chat with Sarah Hayward, we're going to get into the issue of religious trauma syndrome, as well as looking at this issue of spirituality. What does she mean when she talks about resurrecting a spirituality of love and wonder? Really interesting to get into the second half. But before we do that, I want to let you know what's coming up here in the next few episodes on the show. I've just had some unbelievably good conversations. The first one that's coming out after this one with Sarah Hayward is with Matthew Taylor, Now, he is an expert on the Christian right, Dominion Theology, Seven Mountains Mandate, all the stuff that I've been talking about for years. 
The man is an absolute fountain of information. You are going to enjoy that conversation with Matthew Taylor. And then speaking of the Christian right, I've got an episode coming out with Jonathan Davis. He and I met on a Facebook group. And again, another ex-evangelical, another ex-pastor, ex-seminary, Bible college professor. We had a wide-ranging discussion. This is really good, really informative, very similar to the one with Matthew Taylor. And then speaking of ex-evangelicals, I finally caught up with Ren Story. We had a really good conversation the other day. Again, she's an ex-evangelical like me, comes out of the whole fundamentalist Christian background. And so again, like Jonathan, we had a lot in common. So really good episodes coming up here in the pipeline. And then we've also got our February Mind Shift Zoom call coming up on the 18th of this month. That's at 8 p.m. UK time. This is going to be a great conversation. We've got returning guest Joshua Stewart. We just had our conversation last month with Catherine North. That was just unbelievable. In fact, if you want to watch that, that is available on the Patreon page. But I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with Joshua. That's coming up just here in a few weeks after this episode drops. These are available for Patreon supporters of the show. You can get access to those calls. And then we've got Jonathan Davis. He's going to be coming back in the month of March to do our call then. So some great guests coming up. Just a great benefit you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show. So if you want to drop in on the call with Joshua, as well as getting access to our closed Facebook group, you can find out how to become a Patreon supporter of the show. And the links, as always, are in the show notes. All right, let's get on back into the second half of this conversation with Sarah Hayward. As I said, we're going to look into this issue of religious trauma syndrome, as well as delving into what she means when she starts talking about resurrecting spirituality. So here we go with the second half of this conversation as we talk about giving up God, resurrecting a spirituality of love and wonder with Sarah Hayward. Well, this is something David Morris talked about when we had our podcast. He, he uses a couple different metaphors to describe the process of leaving religion. I mean, he's a, I think he's a psychiatrist, he's mm-hmm. a doctor of psychology or psychiatry. That's his background. That was his yeah. thesis. And one of the things really struck me, he said, it's like dosage. You know, he said, it's like you're sitting under an x-ray machine. You know, you, the higher the dose you receive, the more damage it's going to do to you physically. Mm-hmm. But a small dose, when you go to the dentist or the doctor, it's not too bad. It, it does a little bit of harm, but it's it's for our greater good. You know, and I'm thinking your description of you said you grew up in a fairly, you know, healthy, quote unquote, evangelical right. environment. So in a way, maybe you received a slightly lesser dose than some of us, who, you know, a grew up in. Slightly lesser traumatic, yeah. Yeah, but there's still <laughs> trauma, even in what you said, because I'm, I'm thinking that parable of the sheep and the goats, that was another one that terrified me as a kid. Because I had rapture anxiety and I had all these things, religious trauma syndrome. And I can remember thinking, wait a minute, I might be one of those goats. I've done everything during this life to build up treasures in heaven and all the rest of it. What happens, though, when I'm standing before the great white throne of of God and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. It's too late. So, you know, you must have some elements of religious trauma syndrome. You must have gotten some of the dosage for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I was... I was an 80s kid, so I grew up in the height of purity culture, and that oh, yeah. messed me up in all of its wonderful ways. So I was not unscarred by faith. Um, but I think especially because the last 15 or so years of my faith were in that progressive camp, I stayed there for a long time. Um, as soon as I left crusade in college, I became a much more uh, progressive believer from that on. And I think that is... A 
pretty healthy way of doing it. I still hold a lot of grace for believers and I actually still go to church. I just came from coffee with my pastor before this because he just read my book and wasn't threatened or offended. And we had a really good conversation about it. So you don't want to excommunicate you? No, not at all. Get out of my church. Promoting the book, he set me up to write for a local religious uh, organization that wanted an atheist writer team. Yeah. You certainly know independent fundamental Baptists, then they'd be burning you at the stake in effigy and all sorts, you know. Burn your right. boat, ban it, Moms for Liberty, would be banning it from the yes. public libraries and bookstores. Right. So, and that hasn't touched me. So I feel like because I, I, I witness that, I see that there are Christians out there who won't ban my book and who are understanding and, and, mm-hmm. and not wanting to kick me out. So, or burn it. I feel like there's a level of nuance that can be had and that there are flavors of being a believer that that work and that can work for them. It didn't work for me anymore. Just the very concept of God unraveled, um, but it works for them. And I wouldn't want to take that away from them. And I think that's great. And so I I fully recognize the trauma and I know that there are people that religion absolutely scarred them, you know, sure. people who are literally abused, sexually abused, physically, emotionally, any of them. Oh, yeah. And so I, I fully see and respect that experience and I get why they would want to burn every church down to the ground. I get it. That's just not my story. And I see a lot of Christians today still that I think are living a pretty good life and are being kind and are looking out for for folks that are even different than them. So I think we have to admit that those people exist, too, um, and not, you know, try to just take it all down, um, but maybe find a way even to coexist. Not every evangelical, not every Christian is a hate-filled person, Mm -hmm. because I was reading an article today. I was doing a bunch of research on the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And some of his affiliations with sort of the Dominion theology crowd, the New Apostolic Reformation, and <clears throat> that that's another fascinating rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But what struck me, one of the people that was being interviewed in one of the articles said, you've got to realize there's two kinds of, broadly speaking, there's two kinds of evangelicals in America. There's one that you're describing, more a little bit more inclusive. They can make their Christianity work with LGBTQ rights and some other mm-hmm. things. And there's a whole other camp, the militant, angry Trump mega types, you know, sounds like you've come across maybe some of the first one, you know, a little bit more inclusive, but maybe at a slightly bigger table. I think it's good to remind people that there are Christians out there that are not hateful and, you know, hate. Right. Yeah. There are some. It's not a monolith. There are Christians sure. who don't believe in hell. There are Christians who don't believe in eternal torment. They think we all get to heaven. You know, there's universalist Christians, kind of Richard Rohr, Universal Christ. Oh, yeah. So, yeah there's, Rob Bell. Yeah. Yeah. There's a thousand different ways of belief in any camp. You know, if you look at American Republicans, there are the diehard, diehard Trump MAGA folks, and there are Republicans that have just always voted that way, and they just can't bring themselves to vote any other way, but they're not really supporting what's going on. There's, there's always nuance, and there's always a scale. And that was actually another kind of background mission of my book was to try to take down the binary and binary thinking in any chance I got. Because I just think it is not fair. It's not an honest way to look at the world. It's easy and it feels good. Sure. And it seems to make sense on the surface to make things black and white and us and them and religious and non-religious. But it's not really accurate. There's always gray. There's always a middle ground. And so I think a more nuanced approach and a kinder approach, that's just the way I want to believe and to be as a human. I don't want to reinforce this me versus you. You either are on my page exactly 100% or you're a terrible person. 
I don't think that's fair or right. And so I try to hold, yeah, hold a lot of open doors and kind of let let people exist on the spectrum and realize that they do because that's that is how it is. That's true. There's a lot of Christians out there that are, you know, watchdogs as well. I've I've come across loads of them doing my podcast because I've done a lot of stuff on the whole Dominion theology piece, the Christian right, that element of the Trump world, Trump evangelical world. And I've discovered a lot of evangelicals. I've had them on the show numerous times. Dr. Warren Throckmorton, John Fia, uh, the examining Doug Wilson, Moscow, Idaho. I've done a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on him. These are all evangelicals. You know, the Roy's Report, the Wartburg Watch. I mean, these are Christians who are calling out abuses within the church. You know, think of the Roy's Report. They, they do a lot of pretty fearless reporting on guys like mm-hmm. John MacArthur and this new scandal with Mike Bickle in IHOP, Kansas City. I don't know if you've heard about that, but you know, another scandal involving another celebrity pastor and all the rest of it, you know, and I think, okay, so there's a lot of Christians out there who are sincerely grieving the state of the church, if you will, today. And I've found, you know, I'm not an evangelical anymore. I'm not a Christian, but that doesn't mean you can't be respectful and and have good, you know, wholesome conversation with them, help them promote their work and get the word out about these abusive pastors and leaders. So there's a lot of good Christians out there who are doing a lot of good things. Yeah. I felt like I was them. 10 years yeah. ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, that was me. And so I can I can see why they think what they think. And leaving the faith was terrifying. It was so scary to rip the entire rug out from under my own feet. That was a hard place to get to. And it was physically difficult for me to say the first time, I don't know if God is real. I could yeah. barely say it. It was so scary. Yes. And looking up to see if the lightning bolt's coming. (laughs) Didn't. (laughs) You're still here. Yep. Um, It's scary. Plenty of time, though. You're only 38, so yeah. I'll be strong. Don't step outside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I get it. I get why a lot of people, and not to to talk down because this can come across condescending, but why a lot of people just won't even go there. Just won't even ask that deep of a question or get into it that much because they're scared of the answer. And Again, that can come off cocky saying like, well, now I have the right answer. And they don't, I don't pretend to be the final authority now. And I don't know. And that's where I think you can come at a lot of this with a humble attitude and realize when you get down to it, it's still all very mysterious. Nobody knows why any of this exists. Where did any of it come from? With or without God? Why did the Big Bang happen? What was going on before that? Where did that dense matter come from? Did something make it? If it was God, where did God come from? Who made God? You know, no matter how you slice it, none of this makes sense. <laughs> Why we're here at all. And there's still a foundational mystery to it. So I think if we can all admit that, like, we're all just trying to guess. I'm trying to make my best guess through science and reading what the scientists say. But you get into the weeds on that. And most of them will say, we don't know a whole lot still, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe we'll get to a concrete answer one day and that'll be great. And maybe that concrete answer will be there is some sort of design. I don't know. So I'm trying to stay humble and realize there's still a lot of unknowns. And and we'll see what we find out. Maybe in another thousand years, we'll have some better answers. We'll have some better answers. It's interesting, too, because it, what you're saying, I think, relates to another question that's at the root of this whole conversation. And that is, I've been talking about this a lot with people lately on my podcast. And that is, if the God of the Bible is the true God, let's say, like you were saying earlier, that's the true God. That's the God I was raised to believe in, blah, blah, blah. The God I read about in the Bible. How come it didn't work for you then, Sarah? How come it didn't work for me? How come it didn't work for so many thousands, tens of thousands, how many ex-evangelicals, ex-Christians, whatever? Why didn't yeah. it work? How come that God doesn't do a better job revealing himself, 
why were we allowed to walk away from the faith? Were you ever a Christian to begin with? That gets to a lot of really important questions because I think Christians want to know that. They're like, hey, you were never a Christian to begin with. That's why you were, you know, slid away from the faith or backslid or whatever you want to call it. Why didn't it work for you? It should have. You were all in. I was all in. How come it didn't work? Yeah. Well, I, I would say because I don't think that God is real. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think that, that that is how it works. So I, I, I think if there is some sort of God, some sort of thing out there, it's so different and foreign from what any of us can conceptualize. You know, this is something that I talk about still with my husband because to him, looking through the course of human history, way back to the very beginning, humans have been religious. We created a yeah. spiritual world pretty quickly. Some of that very early cave art, they have divine type figures that aren't humans and there's this animal guy thing. Yeah, and there's pantheons of gods. Every culture is incurably Every religious. Culture. No matter where you go, has there's, there's and temples and sacrifices and deities, yeah. all that. So yeah. Maybe maybe that is some evidence that there is something and none of us have understood it properly yet. And it's just beyond our our comprehension at this time. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, if there is a God out there, they're just, I don't see how it could be that Christian God that I grew up with. That doesn't make sense with the claims that that God makes, mm-hmm. who they claim to be, what they claim to be capable of. I can't fit that all together. That doesn't work. Can't make it work. Well, I just finished reading that book, Bury My Heart, It Wounded Knee. I don't know if you read that, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a book from the 70s about the Native Americans and the genocide. And it's a, it's a very disturbing book. But one of the things that struck me about it, well, a couple of things was, one, how many Christians were part of the sort of you know, genocide of the Native Americans and pushing for legislation from the government and, you know, mm-hmm. ripping them off of, you know, reservations, putting them on worse reservations and all that. But yeah. most most Native American tribes, I think, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but not most, but they have this belief in the Great Spirit. And yet they were untouched by European civilizations until, you know, the white men came, basically. So how does that happen? You know, maybe they were onto something. How does that sort of, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. religion or belief system in the Great Spirit how does that develop? So maybe, you know, we, we need, right. to, like you say, have a more open mind to I this whole thing. I think they call him Geechee Manitou in one mm-hmm. of their, I mean, there's hundreds of indigenous tribes yeah, that yeah. all have their own styles. But yeah, I've read some books on uh, indigenous cultures and beliefs, and I'm so attracted. I Part of me, I mean, their story is atrocious and tragic. Yeah, it is. Uh, and what's happened to them. But I can't help but be a tiny bit jealous is the wrong word. I'm just so... Their their spirituality, from what I've understood of it and read of it, is so beautiful mm-hmm. and has so fewer issues than ours. It's not shame based. It's yeah. not you know punitive. It's um, a much more humble approach, more reciprocal. Humans are the little brothers of creation, and came with an attitude of, "Ooh, I'm obviously newest on the scene here. I need to learn from the other animals and plants, and I'm not in dominion over them like we were raised to believe." Uh, I'm very attracted to some of these indigenous beliefs and their creator seems to be much more loving in a way. And so, yeah, there's other ways of conceptualizing the world and life. And I think, I don't know that there's ultimate truth in that either. Maybe, maybe not, but it's certainly a beautiful philosophy and a way of seeing things. Um, There might be something there. You just don't know. Like I said, I like your idea, though, being open to that because... I think you're right. Going back to the point you made earlier, there's so many ex-Christians, ex-evangelicals, whatever you want to call them, who are bitter and angry. And mm-hmm. and I said, I was there too for a yeah. long time. I was pissed off when I started to realize, it was the cult psychology aspect that really kind of fueled my rage when I started realizing that those cult tactics had been used on me. 
and the damage that it had done, religious trauma and all that. Yeah, I was angry. I don't feel like I'm that way anymore. I've, I've kind of worked through that phase, but there are a lot of people who are there and they're totally closed down to any idea of quote unquote spirituality. So hopefully your book can maybe bring some of that around to where I was okay. Yeah. yeah a little bit open here. Give them some healing. I hope, I mean, I, I do hope that people can read my book and feel hopeful because I think mm-hmm. walking away from such a foundational identity piece and, you know, thing that really mo- was meant to motivate every decision in our life. Um, it can be very scary. And and so I hope that my book gives people a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel to say, look, all is not lost. You can you can leave it all behind and still have a beautiful life. I feel more at peace and happier and joyful and more motivated. I've always been an optimistic, cheerful kind of a person, but I feel even more at peace now than I ever did before as a Christian. So all hope is not lost. I feel, yeah, more connected than ever and more inspired to live a good life, thinking I'm not sure what to do about afterlife. If I think there is one or not, I'm leaning toward not, but I don't know. That's another one of those mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but leaning into that option that this is maybe all we get, this bit of consciousness on earth, I'm so motivated to live a good life. And to me, that is still a moral life and a life that looks out for others, you know. So I try to explore a lot of that in the book and and show like, yeah, there's there's a way to to be a really good human outside of Christianity and mm-hmm. have a very fulfilling, happy, joyful life. So I hope my book can comfort. But for those that are angry and pissed at it all, I get it. And I sure. you may need to sit in that for a while. You know, it, a lot of religion is toxic and the original title of my book actually was Grieving God. Uh, the title uh, changed during some edits. And I think it is a process of grief. And it hits me at different times, harder than others. The holidays were really tough. That first Easter really got me. And that was a hard one to get through. Uh, Christmas was easier, I think, because it can be so commercialized and you can just make it all about Santa and stuff. But yeah, the grief comes and goes in ways. And for some people, they're in that phase of grief that is anger, you know, and that's a part of their healthy processing and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they can move out of it and get through, you know, other stages too. Yeah, that, I was going to say that's another metaphor that David and I were talking about. You've got this dosage metaphor of how much did you receive? But the other one is like a divorce, like you kind of mentioning religion, leaving religion is like going through a painful divorce. And some are worse than others. Some are uglier and nastier and more emotionally fraught and everything. But yeah. going through that, I've, I'm divorced. I was divorced about three or four years ago. And it luckily, it was a pretty amicable split. I mean, we realized that it sort of run its course and we were going our separate ways and all the rest of it. But still, we were married for nearly 30 years. You can't be in a relationship with someone for your entire adult life and yeah. not just have to go through a ton of stuff mm-hmm. to recover from not being around this person even though it may not have been the happiest situation. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack, I think, there. Because you mentioned your husband. I was going to ask you about that. What what path is he on? Because that's another aspect to this whole deconstruction mm-hmm. thing. If your partner isn't on the same path as you, that could spell trouble too, can it? Yeah. And that has been the hardest part of all of this because we are not on the same mm. exact path. I, I like to say we're we're not on the same page anymore, but we are still in the same book. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he is one of those very open-minded progressive christians so we can still have a whole conversation and sound like we are in lockstep most of the way until that last step. <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoops there's that one last step yeah so his idea of god is much more complicated and complex and universal 
he doesn't believe in hell, so thankfully he's not worried about my soul being eternally tormented. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, yeah, very open-minded, and so we can still have a, a fairly healthy conversation. And But he does, at the end for him, because like I've said, there's there's still a level of mystery no matter how you slice it, so he's comfortable still saying something did this. Something made all of this on purpose with the plan, and I'm going to call that God, and I believe in that God. To me, it's easier to say, this is all here for some reason. I don't know why. And I don't think it's God. I don't think God made it. So our conclusions are different. Um, and that has been hard. It's been because it is Christianity is meant, even if you weren't in a high control fundy angle of it, it is meant to take over your life and to permeate sure. every piece of you, what you listen to, how you speak, how you dress, what movie, you know, like it really touches on every bit of mm-hmm. existence. So, yeah, that's hard now that we're not on the same exact camp. Um and so that's that's been tricky. You know, I won't lie. That's been hard. And we're still figuring that out. And thankfully, we really like each other and we still yeah. love each other. And we're we have a foundation. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Because tough. A lot of marriages, a lot of relationships don't survive. Don't. It's something Dr. Marlene Winnell said. She said that religion is all pervasive. It, it affects every single area and aspect of our lives, like you say. And then when you deconstruct, you start to realize just how invasive it was and is relationships, everything that you, sexuality, everything that we touch and is touched by us is somehow permeated by our religious beliefs. It takes years, decades, maybe the rest of our lives to deconstruct, doesn't it? It takes a long, long time. It's not an easy snap your fingers and I'm, oh, I'm just walking away. I'm done with that. (laughs) Oh no, it's not done with us. No, I read in the book, you know, I wish I could tie a nice little bow on all this and wrap it up as a nice little package, but it's a mess still. It's not, it's a lot. Out of things left unexplored and things that I got to uncover and figure it out as we go. It's true. Well, hopefully your book will help people do that. It is titled Giving Up God, Resurrecting a Spirituality of Love and Wonder. I was going to say, where can people find the book? Because obviously you can go to lakedrivebooks.com. You can mm-hmm. find the book there. How can people find you on social media if they want to connect? Yeah, I've got a website. It's my full name, sarahenhayward.com. Um, and there's a lot of info on there. I've got some articles I've written, other podcasts I've done. I have a blog on there. Um, I've started writing a little children's series of books, chapter books for like second grade level. So there's stuff about that on there. Um, and then the book itself is available everywhere. So it's on Amazon, Barnes Noble, anywhere you get books, you can search for it and should be able to find it out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people will pick it up and read it. I was going to say too, I will maybe throw some dates at you. If you're interested in 2024, we have our monthly MindShift Zoom calls. If you're interested in coming back on, we usually do them around about the third Sunday of the month. And so it's a chance for people in our closed Facebook group, our Patreon supporters, to meet you, get to chat with you for an hour or so. Oh, nice. If you're interested in that, I think people would love talking to you and, and getting to know you a little bit. So we yeah. can email back and forth maybe, and I'll give you some ideas. But thank you so much. I really enjoyed the time. It just kind of flown by, hasn't it? But I know. Well, thank great you. conversation. And I will be hitting you up again. Maybe we can meet up again in 2024. Sounds great. I love it. Thank you, Sarah. We'll take care and I'll see you soon. Alrighty, thanks. Bye.